Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host... And he drills it, and Washington State has the lead. Lady Mormont speaks harshly, and truly. My son died for Rob Stark, the young wolf. I didn't think we'd find another king in my lifetime. I didn't commit my men to your cause, because I didn't want more Mandalays dying for nothing. But I was wrong. Jon Snow avenged the Red Wedding. He is the White Wolf. The King in the North. I did not fight beside you on the field. And I will regret that until my dying day. A man can only admit when he was wrong and ask forgiveness. There's nothing to forgive, my lord. There will be more fights to come. House Clover will stand behind House Stark, as we have for a thousand years. And I will stand behind Jon Snow. The King in the North! The King in the North! Michael Preston. Kings in the North. Again, I think this is like the third straight season, too. At some point in the year, Washington State has stood alone on top of the Pac-12 North Conference, and that is a pretty incredible accomplishment, uh, considering what Washington State football normally is and then what we thought Washington State football was going to be this year, I, I say we, the royal we, is in most of us, including me, and I will keep emphasizing that point, that this team is far exceeding my expectations. But I will get to another discussion I had with, uh, actually, Craig Powers the other day at the Sounders match. We went to the Sounders match the other day. Uh, in a second, uh, Rob Huang from California Golden Blog is going to join us on the podcast as well to talk about those Golden Bears who, by the way, uh, we beat each other's rivals last weekend. So... Let's a little bear hug for Cal, and 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 I assume a bear a cougar hug returned uh, from Cal Athletics uh, last weekend. Uh, it's funny. We'll get to what I was talking about with Craig this weekend, and I think it, it's kind of a a good point to make here is that you know certainly coming into the year, I did not think much of this football team, and you even heard Jeff and I do a podcast at the beginning of the year trying to find a way to get to six wins uh, for this squad. That has now obviously been surpassed by a game with still a third of the season uh, yet left to play. And even though, you know, my expectations have been exceeded by three games, and I certainly said that I thought a bowl game was being optimistic for this football team, your expectations kind of shift around. So during the first half against Stanford, uh, we were all pretty disappointed and pretty not happy with how that was going. In fact, probably the worst half of football they'd played uh, probably wager since the second half of the Utah game, even though they did end up winning that one. They still needed uh, a pretty miraculous play from Aesop Winston Jr. to do it. So probably, again, their worst half of football since 
that game, that homecoming game in Pullman. And I think we could make the argument that, again, there's a reason why your expectations change. And it's because this team is clearly better than most of us thought they were going to be. And so the expectation of them going into that Stanford game, despite the fact that Stanford was favored in the game, the rankings are higher. And you just kind of think they're going to go down there. And they're not necessarily going to put it to Stanford, but they should win the game. And not necessarily, you know, win it with ease and going away, running away with it, but certainly better than what we saw from them on Saturday evening. And again, those changing expectations, because I certainly thought that was going to be penciled in as a loss at the beginning of the year. And in fact, I went back and checked all the predictions from all the Kook Center riders and everyone, including Jesse Casino, who was the most optimistic at 8-4, and four, thought that was going to be a loss. So it, it, it kind of speaks to those shifting expectations. Because I expected Gardner Minshew to go down there and wear his brass ones on the outside. I expected James Williams to go down there and do work. I expected Max Borgie to go down there and show David Shaw why he should have been recruiting him a little bit earlier. Desmond Patman showed up. Jameer Calvin's back, and that's a wonderful thing to see. Especially that really critical uh, late-game catch that he had. He actually had a couple of really critical catches in that game. So it's kind of an oddity to watch this football team transform from something that we thought would probably struggle to pick up wins, especially in Pac-12 play. They had a pretty easy non-conference schedule, including that game at Wyoming, which now kind of looks like, yeah, they probably should have won that game by about 21 points. To now, they are kings in the north, and their bowl projections have a flower next to them. And your kind of bare minimum expectation for... The month of November is that they win three of these last four games at least. Because they're going, they are favored this weekend against California by more than a touchdown. They're probably going to be favored against a Colorado team that let tw- a 28 point lead against Oregon State slip away. And they're probably going to be favored against an Arizona team that is kind of, you know, eh, they good, they bad, what are they? And then, of course, the Apple Cup. So at this point, again, your expectations transform into, I now expect 10 wins. And it is very weird to say that after, or, you know, go back to before the season me. If I had, if I had said that to him, it'd be nuts. But it has something to do with this football team. Expecting now 10 wins out of them says something about, who this football team is because we never, ever, ever would have expected it before the season. But getting down 28 to 14 against Stanford and seemingly letting their, of all things, their passing offense do whatever they wanted to to you. Get up by two touchdowns late in the first half and then desperately needing points on that final drive of the half leading into the second frame that they got. That was that that for me, you know, we I talked about it last week. Don't don't let yourself get caught in the letdown. And that to me, the first half seemed like a letdown. But apparently, Mike Leach, Gardner Minshew, Desmond Patman, James Williams, Max Borgie, Peyton Pelour, Jihad Woods, Jalen Thompson, Blake Mazza, they don't suffer fools. And 11 points was not only not too big of an obstacle to overcome, but especially after Stanford scored on three straight drives, so 21 unanswered points in that first half, that they would come back out and they would put it to them in the second half. Touchdown, punt, touchdown, touchdown, game-winning field goal. And for Stanford in the second half, just five possessions compared to six in the first. Field goal, punt, downs, touchdown, end of half. So we don't even really count that last one. So really four possessions in that second half for Stanford. And they were only able to take advantage of two of them to the tune of 10 points. That, to me, is the difference between this team this year and this team last year. I don't think I can imagine last year's team getting down... 14 points to the Stanford Cardinal in Palo Alto and then coming back to win that football game. And 
Again, I don't know what the difference is, and it's it's hard to put your finger on any, you know, obviously Gardner Minshew is quite a leader. And I, I try to shy away from stuff you can't quantify with numbers here, but there there's obviously something you I, I you cannot do math on here. I, I I can't I can't point my finger specifically to anything that you know just that explains that. But it probably has to do with the mentality of this football team and how how that, that there's just no such thing as a deficit that's too big. And there's no such thing as we are out of this game. There's just no such thing as that for them. They are always in the football game no matter what the deficit is. And I apparently forgot that on Saturday. They luckily did not. What a day for everyone, especially on offense. My goodness, that second half was, if, if you ever want to watch what a clinic in the air raid looks like, go watch that second half. I think at one point, Minshew had only missed one throw or something like that. In fact, he was 16 of 23 at halftime. He would only not complete three of his 27 passes in the second are you 24 for 27 in the second half that is absolutely bonkers as I'm scrolling up to do the quick math <laughs> over 200 yards of passing in that half and we have a draw play for for fourth and short. <laughs> in fact, on that drop play, they I think they ran empty in the backfield and they spread the wide receivers way out and there were only four guys in the box. I was screaming at the TV to draw because Minshew's got just enough speed to make you worried and he got there. What a second half. A complete second half. The ball got spread around again to 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 receivers in the ball game. That is absolutely exceptional. And again, it is a clinic in what you want the air raid to look like. And that was a big win if you're Washington State. Going down there against the Stanford team that David Shaw said after the game, the game planning for this game started the day after we lost in Pullman last year. Now... I don't know how much stock I put in that because that's coach speak, but he needed to clearly do more because he got outscored 24 to 10 in the second half. More needed to be done, clearly. And how big was that field goal to end the first half that they were able to get down there and score? That field goal, you know, at the time, it was just kind of like, ah, they're taking points. How important did that become? Very, 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 very important. Uh, defensively, I I know you know we'll talk about this a little bit later, um, as well after we interview Rob. Um, but I know Darian Moulton's been struggling. I don't know where Sean Harper is. Nobody knows what his injury is, what the deal is there. Um, but it, it just seemed like any time someone got close to JJ Arcega Whiteside, there was going to be a flag, and it didn't matter what happened. Or whether it was truly interference or not, whether Moulton or Strong or whoever had decent coverage on him, any kind of contact on him, flag comes out of the pocket. Flag just gets tossed straight away because some reason why. And I don't know whether it's because Darian Moulton's built a reputation for it or because Marcus Strong's built a reputation for it or what it is. But it seems clear to me, at least, that the referees are keying in on it. And the conspiracy theory in you says is that Larry Scott is not very happy uh, with Mike Leach right now. And he has a referee problem. He has a lot of very big problems right now. And so it comes down from on high to keep a special eye on those Washington State defensive backs who are struggling, to say the least, right now. Probably not that deep of a conspiracy. I'm not going to go that deep into it, but... You can kind of probably see where someone would be coming from if they thought that maybe Larry Scott had it in for Mike Leach right now. I'm not saying, I'm just saying. Whatever. Uh, looking ahead to the California Golden Bears, fresh off their 
a big win over the Washington Huskies down in Strawberry Canyon last weekend. That again, that's another year in a row a Washington team goes down to Berkeley and can't get out of there with what should be a relatively easy win for them. And I have called uh, Washington. We're not playing there anymore. It's that simple. Uh, But again, I, I think it's at least somewhat similar here to Oregon two weeks ago. Oregon beat Washington in a big emotional game at home and then had to come to Pullman and deal with a hostile environment. Now, granted, the adrenaline of the crowd, the attitude of the crowd, a little more pumped up uh, a couple of weekends ago against Oregon because of game day and because it is Oregon. It is at least a rivalry uh, in that sense. I didn't tell you what sense it would be, but it is a rivalry. Um, So I, I think it's a little bit different. But again, Cal had to play a physical, tough football game against the Huskies. And now you have to go on the road. You're going to play a late game in Pullman. Although, again, this happened years ago and it got a little wacky. Uh, Not the same offense for Cal either. Uh, And you have to come into what now is developing into, again, a very hard place to play football. It was very clear early on that Oregon was not ready for the noise. It was not ready for how loud that stadium was going to get. And so... It's on the fans, it's on everybody to get that loud again, to support the football team and to make it difficult because you can see that other teams have a hard time dealing with the atmosphere and at 7.45pm we should be at peak drunk dad. I am waiting for all the dads to come in there and hopefully to not pass out at halftime and then have to be wheeled back to whatever apartment or fraternity or hotel or wherever they're staying. I'm hoping they can stay awake until the end of the game. But again, you have a team coming off a big emotional win and now they have to roll into Martin Stadium and keep that energy up again. And you saw Washington State get it back in the second half against Stanford and you have and Oregon did it against Washington State a couple of weeks ago. They figured things out and they got back into that football game in the fourth quarter and it took a dagger from Gardner Minshew to Desmond Patman to put that game away. And now what you have is the exact same situation. But this time you can't let that team come back and jump them and bite you in the second half. And so if Washington State's able to do the same thing against Cal this weekend in that they get up by a bit in the first half and then it'll be interesting to see if they can prevent that again in the second. I don't think that's going to happen. Cal has a much better defense than Oregon does. So it's going to be a little bit more difficult to score. But Washington State does have the best offense in the Pac-12. So it's going to be an interesting little chess match to see on Saturday in Pullman, what actually happens in that first half. And then if it is Washington State getting up big, can Cal come back and rebound after basically forgetting for 30 minutes that they're you know they're playing a pretty emotionally charged football game? Rob Huang from California Golden Blogs joins us next. We're going to talk about the Golden Bears that we've been talking about here. He's gonna, he knows a little bit more about them than I do. Uh, he's here on the Cook Center Hour next. <laughs> here on the Coog Center Hour, and uh, I am sorry to announce to Rob Huang of California Golden Blogs, I've called the Washington Athletic Department. We have agreed that we will no longer be playing games at Memorial Stadium as a pair of schools, so y'all are just going to have to come up here every year to play both of us. So it's just, it's how it goes, you know, when you make a phone call and you got some pull, I just, I, I apologize. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure if you want us in Pullman either. I mean, last time uh, we played up there with Goff, uh, we got one of your uh, special teams coordinators fired. So, oh, well, you know. you know, that was it actually probably was a long time coming at that point. But <laughs> 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 I'll take that. 
that's a big win, obviously, for Cal. They'd been floundering a little bit. They did win against Oregon State the week before, uh, but had dropped three in a row uh, prior to that Oregon State win. And I, you know, I think yesterday I was expecting UW to win that game, maybe closely, but I was expecting them to win. And Cal's defense just didn't, outside of that opening, pretty much scripted drive. UW didn't do anything on offense after that. How does the Cal fan base feel after an upset like that? I mean, it puts us back on track, right? We're, we're, everyone in the fan base was expecting us to have a bowl eligibility season, uh, so a minimum of six wins. Mm-hmm. We expected uh, to pretty much be eligible by the time we played Arizona. Like, that Arizona game, we expected to win. That would get us in the bowl eligibility or maybe the Oregon State game. Um, but now this puts us back on track after losing those games to, oh, God, a, a terrible UCLA team and a terrible Arizona team. Um, now we're back on track with uh, <clears throat> that that win, and that mm-hmm. gets us to where we want to go, which is to to go off of that 5-7 and seven season from last season and to move on into eligibility and keep the trajectory going forward. See, Rob also has an executive producer like we do here, only his is a barker, not a meower. Um a bit. We'll start with the offense because we like to do that here. I mean, defensively, Cal is very good uh, this season. I think that was kind of the case last year as well. But we'll start with the offense because at Washington State, that's what we're interested in. A bit of a quarterback carousel for Cal to start the year. Uh, Bowers, Garbers, McIlwain started a few games, but we're now back to Chase Garbers, uh, who was 16 for 23 for a buck 53. Uh, no touchdowns, no interceptions in that last game. It just, you know... Kind of seems like we've been going back and forth on the quarterbacks this year. So what's been the case with the position behind center for Cal? I think the biggest issue was most of us expected uh, Ross to be the starter going in. Mm-hmm. Um, the coaches raved about him. The coaches put him out in front of the media as you know the quarterback all throughout fall camp. Um, and that was two weeks of fall camp. And then we had that one week of game prep. And then the UNC game week. And something changed uh, within those two weeks where, you know, we had Ross come out in the UNC game, play maybe, I think, a two drives, mm-hmm. and then he was pulled, and then it was a 50-50 of Garbers and McIlwain interchanging all the way through. We did get confirmation, uh, I believe, two weeks ago, last week or two weeks ago, um, Rusty Simmons of the Chronicle, of the San Francisco, San Francisco Chronicle, confirmed that Ross Bowers is indeed injured. Um, we don't know when that injury happened, what the injury is, mm-hmm. or anything of that sort. Um, so that's where we stand right now. And then that's why we gave McIlwain the shot because he looked a little bit more electric after that BYU game. Uh, but, you know, his throwing was terrible and he scored, I think, 28 points for the opposing team off of, you know, scooping scores and pick sixes yeah. over two games. And then now we have Garbers back who has done exactly what we need him to do, which is to just move the ball forward and not turn the ball over. Yeah. Nine touchdowns to four interceptions this year. That pretty much defines it. Uh, if you're, you know, California, just don't turn the ball over and just do what you can to move forward. Uh, I think Patrick Laird's in like his 19th year of eligibility. Rob uh, is the leading <laughs> rusher for Cal uh, this season with over with uh, 660 yards. Same with Vic Wharton. I'm, I'm like 90% sure he's violating NCAA rules. Uh, we know those guys' names. I think as Wazoo fans, who else on the offense do we need to keep an eye on because? Those guys are, are kind of known commodities uh, to Wazoo fans. Uh, I think of offensively, uh, you guys need to look at number 10, Jeremiah Hawkins. Uh, mm-hmm. He's been coming on pretty strong as of late. He is, uh, stay with me here, he is uh, a year younger than our starting safety, Jalen Hawkins, but is the uncle of Jalen Hawkins. So we got some well, family uh, in there. Uh, <laughs> Wait, wait, hold on, whoa, 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 whoa. hold on a second. Whoa, no, 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 stop, no, 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 stop, 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 stop. We can get back to this in a second. You have, you have a player who is another player's uncle and is also younger than him. Yes. Okay, continue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, Jeremiah Hawkins. Um, you know, we've been we've been missing speed uh, mm-hmm. in this offense particularly at the wide receiver position after we lost uh, guys like Milky Stovall, guys like Demetrius Robertson just over this past um, off season, mm-hmm. we needed to inject some speed in it. Uh, we weren't sure where we were going to get it. It didn't look like we had an option early on the season, but slowly 
I think Jeremiah Hawkins is filling into that role. Uh, he's pretty electric when he has the ball in his hands. Um, the stats don't really show it that much, but he mm-hmm. is very they, – they're very good at masking him in the misdirection and also um, getting him into open space and turning the edge. So we'll see how um, he he does in this Washington State game, but that's definitely a player to watch. Kind of looking back overall at the Cal offense, they had that big breakout game against Oregon State a couple of weeks ago, scored 49 points in that one. But prior to that, and certainly against Washington, no offensive touchdowns. They managed to win the game anyway. I believe you said before we started recording this, the first time in like 20 years, Cal had won a game without scoring an offensive touchdown. Uh, but the offense had kind of, you know, just looking at the point totals, had sputtered a bit. What was causing... That was it because McIlwain was in there and Garbers wasn't playing, or was there another issue besides the quarterback? I think the biggest thing was that because at the quarterback position, those two guys have such different skill sets. Mm-hmm. You got such an electric runner in McIlwain who can do so much with the read option, but then you have a guy like Garbers who can stand in there in the pocket, make his reads, and can get out of the pocket when needs when need be. He's not he's not as mobile as McIlwain is, but he definitely has some wheels. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think it was an issue of trying to figure out who the better guy to fit in our system is, along with making sure we have a play call menu set for either one of the two quarterbacks that it's in, mm-hmm. and that pretty much limited our our play calling ability. Uh, we couldn't call the same calls we do with Garbers that we do with McElwain, and vice versa. So there was a discord there, and trying to figure out when we're going to put in McElwain on what downs and what yardages, when we're going to put in Garbers and. You know, it got to the point where we were pretty predictable. Uh, when Garbers was in, it was pretty much we were passing. When McElwain was in, we are mm-hmm. pretty much running. So um, I think we needed to get some diversity in there. And now that we have, you know, our set starter with Garbers, you can throw in McElwain in there every once in a while as a change of pace back. And that forces the defense to either totally sell out on stopping him running mm-hmm. or he pulls the ball and you know, make him throw and see what he can do with his arm. Just looking at the numbers for Cal's offense, uh, one of the better in the conference at rushing the football. Uh, They do it to the tune of about 184 yards a game passing second worst in the conference at yards in or in yards per game at just over 200, close to 210. If the Cal offense is playing well, they are doing what Rob? We are running and running and running. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, there was a point. There was a point against Washington, I believe, but that towards the end of the first quarter, or maybe halfway through the second, where uh, Patrick Laird was averaging five yards a carry, mm-hmm. and it was just he was getting he was running patiently. The line was giving him lanes to run through, mm-hmm. and that's that's pretty much how we drove. We just couldn't finish drives with touchdowns, but. Man, we were taking six, seven minutes off the clock with just him running three yards, three yards, and then a boom, a six-yard gain, mm-hmm. another six-yard gain, and then another three yards, three yards. Um, and we just kept getting first downs after first down. Defensively, uh, for Cal, you just look at the raw numbers, and uh, they are quite good, a very good uh, defense, giving up just 165 yards through the air per game, 146 on the ground. S&P has them as the 18th best defense uh, in the country this year. And in fact, the best one uh, other than Utah, which is just slightly above Cal at 16, that Washington State has seen this year. What makes this defense so good? Because I think, Rob, last year it was that defense that was very, very good for Cal. And what helped them get to 5-7, and seven, it wasn't the offense that had some trouble getting going at times. Yeah, I mean, you look at uh, that defense that we had last year when we played you guys, it's mm-hmm pretty much that same defense that's back um not much has changed uh we lost some depth at the linebacker position but most of the guys that are starting now or is playing has had about two years of playing experience whether that be as a starter or as a guy who comes in and spells in certain situations Mm -hmm. um the experience has definitely helped uh this defense grow and of course i mean this the strength of this defense is the defensive backs, uh, mm-hmm. nicknamed the Takers. Uh, they rank, I believe, eighth in the country right now in interceptions on the year. Uh, I think we got 12. Mm-hmm. And they they play with such ferocity, such swagger. Um, they're, they're coming to play, and they're, they're wanting to take the ball away from you on every, any single possible moment. Mm-hmm. I, you know, going back and looking through the box scores, I mean, it's certainly, Cal is limiting quarterbacks to 150, 160, 170 yards a game. 
Uh, and last year, they certainly had no trouble uh, with the air raid run by Luke Falk. And Justin Wilcox was, of course, at UW. So he's familiar uh, with Mike Leach plenty. Uh, is that what makes this defense effective against that offense, you think? Just the fact that they are primed to take away passes? Yeah, I think so. And I think the the one thing that a lot of people miss right now is most of these guys that are playing on the defensive side of the ball were recruited by Sonny Dykes, mm-hmm. which means that the offense that they played against week in and week out in practice was against that air raid that we or the bear quote unquote mm-hmm. bear raid that we ran at the time. So they're really familiar with the patterns and how the wide receivers work um, and how they're trying to get into open spaces. And I think that just innately in them, plus the improvement of the defensive coaching staff has just helped them take that step forward and mm-hmm. is particularly good against an air raid team. Who do we need to keep an eye on defensively uh, for Cal, Rob? Because, you know, I know most folks focus on offense. And, you know, again, defense is what made Cal, got Cal five wins last year, but uh, may not have been the side of the ball a lot of folks pay attention to. So who's who's a name to keep an eye on, maybe outside of that secondary you already mentioned? Ooh, that's a tough choice. Yeah. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna cheat here, and I'm just going to list both our inside linebackers, uh, Jordan <laughs> Kanasich uh-huh. and uh, Evan Weaver. Uh, those two guys, I believe, lead the country in tackles. I think both of them are in the top ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, Evan Weaver is the one that actually secured the win for us with that pick six. Those guys play outstanding, outstanding football. Um, they run to the ball. They they drop back into coverage. They rush up the up the middle. Like they, there's nothing that you can ask those guys to do, and they won't do it terribly. Like they do everything well. Yeah. Um, and they have the athletic ability to do so as well. Um, so yeah, I think that middle of, for me, I mean, this, this game for, at least from the Cal side defensively is going to come down to, can those two guys stick with the drag routes and the pass and the, uh, guys in the slot and the wide receivers that come over the middle and drop back into coverage and make those breakups or get those quick tackles because Mm -hmm. that's, that's the, it it feels like it's going to be funneled into those guys. Washington State getting 11 points uh, to open it in Vegas. That's down now, now down to 10 and a half. I thought that was uh, pretty wide, uh, in term, pretty big in terms of uh, how good of a football team Cal is. Cal wins this game, they're bowl eligible too, and that's the goal they obviously had coming into this season, Rob. So how do you see this one going? Uh, pretty late, actually as late as Wazoo has had all year, except for their San Jose State game, which kicked at 8. So kickoff's at 745. It is, it is Dad's weekend in Pullman, and the Dads will be sufficiently lubricated uh, over in the student section. So how how do you see this one going up in Pullman? You know what? This this one is going to be one of those Pac-12 after dark games. I don't – It's if it turns into a shootout, we're not winning this one. Yeah. Um, and I, I know the coaching staff probably knows that. They're going to want to keep it um, to a bare minimum – scoring wise as possible if we squeak out of there with another 12 10 win i think we'll call it a success uh, <laughs> but i i think i think ever i think everyone's gonna hit stride a little bit but our defense will get the stops necessary mm-hmm. um i'm not gonna call a win on either side but i think this comes down to somewhere in the 20s for both teams I like that. Rob Huang uh, from California Golden Blogs go over there. These guys have a lot of fun every week on that website, and it's always good, although they don't bold their subject line over there or use it very much, Rob. We, we don't like that subject line. No, uh, we don't. like to just go straight, straight into the thick of things. Don't, it just causes me, my eyes just bugger out. Thank you, Rob, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. to Rob again for joining us, taking some time out of his Sunday evening. He was kind enough to join us over the weekend uh, to talk about California. Uh, At this point, Larry, 
it's kind of just really, really comical. Like, I... <laughs> your referees have no idea what pass interference is. I think we can say that. And again, I understand that refereeing football is a very difficult job because I refereed soccer for a long time. That's a very difficult job to do. And do it well, and do it well consistently. But contact with the receiver is not just pass interference. And we're not going to spend this whole segment ranting and raving about that. Trust me, we could if we wanted to. But we're not going to do that. The issues we've seen with the Pac-12, just this football season, that is enough to have Larry Scott fired. I, I, I think I think we are now at the point where that is enough. And the mistakes that have been made with the conference's TV network have compounded to the point where... Although we were all very happy with what was going on seven years ago, I think a lot of it had to do with the revenue projections from the network. But we can look back on it now and say that was not a good deal. And the idea to try to build out your own studio space, your own headquarters, your own equipment, your own employees, your own everything in the most expensive city in the United States to live in, other than maybe New York City, uh, was a pretty poor decision. It was daring. I will give Larry that. It was bold because if it works out uh, for you financially, uh, that is much better. It is much better for the conference if it works out that those revenue projections say because you wholly own the network and you're not having to share it with anybody else. But I can't remember if it was two, three years ago when AT&T bought DirecTV and they offered a stake in the Pac-12 network. They offered to, you know, they wanted a stake in it for distribution on DirecTV and I believe some other things that went along with it. And Pac-12 said no. And as that turns out, that has been a very bad decision again. Because you you have a network that you do not require your carriers to put on a basic tier. So a lot of carriers put it on a premium tier. So a lot of people don't get it outside of the West Coast. And even then, you're not on a lot of TVs on the West Coast. So not a lot of people could see your games. You have... Higher-ups in the conference that have nothing to do with refereeing, interfering with replay reviews, which again, you can think what you want to think about that Logan Tago hit all you want, whether the call of targeting was correct or not. The fact that somebody who was not involved in officiating a football game called and changed that decision, and then in all likelihood led to the replay officials being gun-shy about Gardner Minshew getting hit pretty badly a quarter later... And them not doing anything about it because they might have been scared about Woody Dixon calling them. And then I think the coup de grace of it all. And I would be saying this if any two teams were involved. That Washington State-Stanford game, if you were just disinterested in it in terms of, you know, you're not a fan of either team, which I admit neither of those two teams would be a big draw if I wasn't, if I was just sitting at home not watching anything, I probably wouldn't be too interested in it. But it is a top 25 game. It's a game between the number 14 team in the country, the number 24 team in the country, that one team dominated in the first half, the other one came back in the second, game-winning field goal, and at least a chance for Hail Mary at the end. And where was that game? It wasn't on Big Fox. It wasn't on ABC. It wasn't on ESPN. It wasn't on ESPN2. It wasn't on FS1. It wasn't even on ESPNU. It wasn't on e- even on ESPN News. It was on the Pac-12 network. The network that the least amount of people get of any of those networks I just described. FS, uh, FS2 might be the only one that less people get. So when that happens, and I understand wanting to hold on to some inventory because you do need an incentive for people to have your network. But at this point... Seven years down the line into this contract. That is just not going to happen. And I'm sorry. People are not going to pick up the Pac-12 network because they see a top 25 matchup on it. It's just not going to happen at this point unless it involves their team. I, I, I really don't know if the number of homes you get the network into is such a large number that you can justify having arguably the best football game that's been played in your conference, can you justify having that on a channel that nobody gets? And not only that, on top of that, 
when that Colorado-Oregon State game ran into overtime. And having a three and a half hour window for football games is perfectly acceptable. I would prefer four. That would be better. But three and a half hours should be enough. But when it was running late, and the solution to that is to put the game on Pac-12 Washington and Pac-12 Bay Area or stream it on your computer. By the way, even fewer people get Pac-12 Washington and Pac-12 Bay Area because at least for me on Comcast, they switched the big network onto their basic tier and the other ones went to the premium tier. So it's not like you get both. It, you know, It's not like if you live in San Francisco, you get the Pac-12 network and Pac-12 Bay Area. Or if you live in Seattle, you get the Pac-12 network and Pac-12 Washington. You get one or the other. And even then, the Pac-12 Washington is standard definition. It is not high def. Which, really, at this point, we should just call high definition standard definition. Because I it like every cable provider, satellite provider you have, they just automatically flip you to HD. And I don't even... As a former TV guy, I don't even really understand why we still have standard def. But maybe somebody like my wife can explain that to me later. These all... All these things... It all adds up to... A fireable offense at this point. Or multiple offenses at this point. And the one thing I want to keep circling back around to. For all this ineptitude. All these problems. Larry Scott is the highest paid commissioner in NCAA. In any NCAA conference. And the higher ups at the conference are better compensated than any other conference in the country. Now you can make the argument that they need that money to live in San Francisco. And I could kind of understand that if the conference had to be headquartered in San Francisco. It doesn't have to be headquartered there. Geographically, a better location for it would probably be Los Angeles. Now again, cost of living not that much cheaper there. But there's a lot more studio space. There's a lot more available production talent to draw on down there. And you can locate yourself in the West Valley and have it be a little cheaper in terms of your studio space. Hell, you're going to move your football championship game there. You already have your basketball, your postseason conference basketball tournament there. Headquarter it in Vegas. Where the cost of living, even though it has rebounded significantly in the past couple of years, is still dirt cheap by comparison to San Francisco. And you can probably build out some studio space for no money at all. It makes it a better proposition to do something like that. To think forward and to move your conference headquarters. It doesn't even necessarily have to be, again, it doesn't have to be in a city where your schools are. The only reason they like it where it is is because they are close to two of their schools, two of their California schools. It would be geographically better to be in Los Angeles or even Las Vegas because, again, it's more geographically centered. But if you really want to think forward about this and cutting costs and keeping things a little cheaper... Put your conference headquarters in Las Vegas and put your studio headquarters there. Because even if you have to build out and build your own space, it's still going to be astronomically cheaper. Again, the real estate is cheaper. The labor is cheaper. The cost of living is cheaper. Everything is. And this bet you made on having your conference headquarters and having your channel's headquarters in the most expensive place in in the United States basically to live, it did not pay off. And it did not pay off in a... can't really think of a word, but gloriously is not the right word. But, you know, it's rather glorious down in flames here. So, like, this has probably got to be it for Larry Scott. Once the conference basketball tournament is over, that's probably got to be it. And I can argue of all of that, of all the things I've listed off, the biggest sin might be having... The conference's championship game in Santa Clara. It was perfectly fine going from stadium to stadium of the high seed. Or even rotating the stadium site every year to a different place. But there's a reason why that stadium is empty on the Friday you play the conference championship game. Santa Clara is not interesting to anybody who wants to fly there. It is expensive to get there. It is expensive to stay there. When it does move to Vegas in a few years... That is obviously the natural fit. But put the game in Glendale. If you're going to put it anywhere permanently, Glendale. Put it in Phoenix. I just... It's so much bigger of a draw than Silicon Valley. It, I, it, it baffles my mind. 
And at this point, I really don't know how he survives into next year as the conference commissioner. Thunderhead of the Week, Ask Michael Anything, coming up next. saved Larry for this space, but needed a little bit more than this provides. Dunderhead of the Week, and this is actually kind of a weird one, uh, and I don't know how I just realized this today, but probably could have been pointed out to me a long time ago, and maybe hopefully it's a revelation for some people. Jake Locker, Jake Browning, Jake Hayner, Jacob or Jake Sermon, and Jacob or Jake Eason. Five quarterbacks at Washington named Jake. Two of them played like all four years. So eight years worth of Jake throwing the football. And you're going to get Jacob Eason next year. So you're going to have another Jake throwing the football. And probably Sermon after that. So another Jake. Recruit a Mark. A David. A Frank. A... Alistair, I don't, I don't care. Not Jake or Jacob. That, that, that is like some weird, like, a quarterback must be named Jake to play at the University of Washington, lest the prophecy not be fulfilled. That is so weird. Why are they all named Jake? It's so odd. Again, it's like, a, this gotta be like a voodoo doll in the Taiyi Club or something, right? I don't know what any of that has to do with anything, but I just thought it was so weird. All these quarterbacks, all named Jake. Even Jake Browning's backup who came in the game against Cal named Jake. Wow. Not like Jake O'Shaughnessy's restaurant. That place was great. Bellevue Square Mall. I remember that place. Their sourdough bread was like to die for. God, I miss that. And the brass railings and their chowder was really good. Man, I miss Jake O'Shaughnessy's. Ask Michael anything time. Still miss Jake's. Man, that place was so good. It's like a cheesecake factory now. Yeah. At Bubba Crowley, Bubba Crowley. Maple bars or bear claws? Oh, God, I love maple bars. And underrated, Albertson's maple bars. Super good. May also just been because that's what we used to get when we went up Stevens Pass skiing, but man, I love that. At JDub091, Jacob Weedle. If WSU wins out, will we get into the college football playoff? Uh, it's a long shot. Need some help, probably. That non-conference schedule's not helping you, but we'll see what goes on. We'll see. Uh, at the last Zoom, NC17 Lentils. Who QBs for Cal this weekend, Garbers? That'll be who it is. Uh, at Coog's Zoo If we get 10 wins, does Minshew get put on the Coog QB Mount Rushmore? Probably. I mean, 10 win season in this year, that would have been, that would have been perfect. At Fraternal, or it would have been perfect. I mean, that's far exceeding expectations. So, uh, at Fraternal Cloud, Jesse, do you think we get Sean Harper back for Cal or we could sure use him? Yeah, I think we could use him. I have honestly no idea uh, who it'll be. At Coog0818, Eric Smith, since Minshew seems to be a demigod, which Greek god created him and why? Uh, with that mustache, was Dionysus the goddess of wine? I don't know who the goddess of wine was. I'm going to say Dionysus until someone corrects me. Inevitably, I will be corrected on this, and that's fine. Uh, but whichever the god of wine was, because with that mustache, those sunglasses, that hat, all that, seems like a guy who enjoys uh, some some beverages. At WC Brady 27 thoughts on the three-headed monster of Booby, Borgie, and Lamonte McDougal 
taking snaps and short yardage next year. Uh, I think McDougal, he was apparently taking some snaps in practice uh, last week, I think to simulate, as our own Jesse Casino pointed out to me, those big body packages Stanford runs. So, unfortunately, uh, no, probably not going to be in there. Uh, at Skyler Nakashima, Skyler, uh, what is the outlook beyond this year as a team at as a team and at QB? Uh, as a team, again, I think you're dealing with a lot of question marks next year. QB, you may see another grad transfer come in because, again, you know, if Gardner Minshew won the job, which he did, the one thing I was worried about was you're going to do this all again next year. It's an open quarterback competition. Cameron Cooper's probably going to get some serious run there. I would expect him to, but other than that, uh, you may see another grad transfer. Uh, at Totes McStow's Daddy Minshew, when we make it to the playoffs, will you get another cat and name him Gardner Meow Shoe the second? <laughs> yes. At WSU Cougar 08, Rick, as referenced by J Possum or Possum J16 earlier, it is soup season. Give me your top three or four in order. Uh, I love uh, number three, like taco enchilada soup, something like that. I really, really like that. Like. Like crispy tortilla in there, so good. A lot of cilantro in there too. Uh, number two is definitely my wife makes a killer turkey chili, delicious. And then number one, and this is a throwback for me, French onion soup because I have a family recipe for it, and it's delicious. If you melt a little Jarlsberg, you put it in the broiler in the oven, you put a little Jarlsberg on top of there and some croutons in there. Oh, god, that stuff is good when it's cold out. It is like oh, just trust me, make it, it's perfection. Washington State 34, Cal 21. Googs do enough. Pull away late in the second half. Should be a good one. Drunk Dads! Can't wait. Talk to you next week. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical.